read from the scriptures. We're turning to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, if you have your Bible with you. I'm going to commence reading at the verse. Let's read from the verse 1. I wasn't going to read it, but I feel it would be good for us to read this ninth chapter again, at least in part. We're going to read from verse 1 right through to verse 19. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to, the prophet, to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which speak in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faiths, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as it hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. 
Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten the renown as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy knee. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now this evening, we are continuing our series of expository sermons in the book of Daniel. And tonight, my text is really found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 right through to 19. And my theme this evening is entitled, The Heart of Daniel's Great Prayer and Confession to God. Now, last Lord's Day evening, we considered the introductory setting to this great prayer. And you'll recall, I trust, the period in which the prayer was offered. There's a significant and important time factor. This prayer was offered to God in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, is dead. Babylon the Great has fallen. The emperor is no more. And the Medes and Persians are now in power. We then thought about the preparation for the prayer. Daniel was granted great discernment. He was given understanding. How? By studying the books of Jeremiah, the writings of Moses, the, the, the uh, book of Isaiah and Ezekiel. He, he was given enlightenment by reading the Word of God. By, by reading the Bible, he understood four things. He understood about the fall of Babylon after 70 years of Israelite captivity. God said, I will punish Babylon, Jeremiah 25, verses 10 to 12. The second thing he understood was that Israel was going to be restored to its own land that happened after 70 years of the captivity. And he understood as well that the temple in Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And the fourth thing he discovered was that the Lord wanted his people to pray about this matter of restoration and a rebuilding program. 
We also then thought about the posture in prayer. We talked about three things, his fastings, the sackcloth, and the ashes. And then we close with the petition in prayer. He says in the uh, verse uh, 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God. Remember, he's now a 90-year-old man. Remember, he's now the uh, prime minister of the Medes and Persian Emperor. He's, he's a busy, dutiful, responsible politician. But his chief concern is to have the ear of God. He prays for the Lord's pardon. He prays for the Lord's help. And he wants the Lord to be glorified in all of this. Now tonight, I want us to move on. And I want us to consider the heart of Daniel's great prayer. See, let's move beyond the introductory setting of the prayer and let's get into the heart, the instructive structure of the prayer. I put it to you tonight, this is a wonderful prayer. This is one of the great classic prayers of all of the Bible. You've got to think of Daniel. Remember, he's from a princely line. He's been taken captive a young man, maybe between 14 and 17. He's now a, a prophet of God. The Bible talks about Daniel the prophet. He's also now in God's providence, a politician. And he's also a great prayer warrior. If we ask the children, if I say to Joel, can you tell me something about Daniel? He'd tell me straight away that Daniel was a man of prayer. And Daniel says, if you look at verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God. You see, he passionately and urgently and yet powerfully prayed for the visitation of the Lord upon the land and upon his country and upon Jerusalem. So we're going to think tonight just about the heart of the prayer. Four things I want you to discover. I want you to think of the foundation of his prayer. If you look at verse 4, it says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God. You see that word and, it's very important. It's a conjunction. It's a joining word. And it takes us back to verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And the the word and in verse 3 takes us back to verse 2. You see, the foundation of Daniel's prayer was this, that he was a student of the word of God. Daniel took to heart the message of the scriptures. He studied the writings of Isaiah the prophet 150 years before. He studied the writings of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Daniel. He studied the writings of Ezekiel. He studied the writings of Moses, the man of God. And as he read and studied his Bible with an open heart and with an open mind, all of a sudden there came upon Daniel that spirit and gift of prayer. King David prayed, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And whenever Daniel set himself the task of trying to understand what was written in the word of God, and he was given the spirit of discernment, 
In getting a spirit of discernment, it was also created within his heart a desire to pray. Remember the Lord Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and 4. Job 23 and 12 says, I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food. Again, it was the psalmist that talked about the book of God being more precious to him than gold or even fine gold. And what I'm saying to you tonight is there a correlation between a studying of the scriptures, reading and meditating upon the words of God out of the book, and having a mindset and a heart to pray. It was the word of God that opened his heart and mind. And by the opening of his heart and mind to that word, he began then to pray and cry out unto the Lord. So you think of this Daniel character. Daniel was a man of prayer. Why did he want to pray? Because he filled his heart and mind with the word of God. Daniel was guided by the Spirit of God to the book of God. You see, many today who are Christians, who profess the name of Christ, the sad reality is that their Bible is really a closed book. And you see, if your Bible is a closed book, then your heart will be cold. And if your heart is cold, your lips then will be callous in relation to God and your relationship to him, because you will have no desire to pray or to call upon the, the name of the Lord. And I want to tell you, if the Bible's a closed book, and your heart is cold, and your lips are callous, then you need to seriously get before the Lord and ask yourself if you're really born of the Spirit. Because there's a correlation, as I've said, between opening the Bible and opening one's heart to pray to God. The two of them go together. It's as if they go hand in hand. So here is the foundation principle of all true praying. The word of God and the mind of God revealed to your heart by the Spirit. Turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, who knows the mind of the Lord but the Spirit of God? And when you're born again of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit, let's ask this question, where does the Spirit of God speak to us from? What does he lead us into? He certainly doesn't lead us into sin. He doesn't lead us into silliness. He always leads us into saintliness through a study and meditation of the scriptures. 
Isaiah 8 and 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And you see, Daniel didn't have a notion in his head. Daniel just didn't decide one day, you know, I'll go to pray unto my God. Daniel didn't get a tingling sensation in his spine. He didn't come up with some harebrained scream. No, he was led by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead and work in a vacuum. It's not what we think or say. The Holy Ghost himself can make us understand what God says in his book about what is written in the scriptures. And if you read the prayer very carefully, um, you can read the reference there written in the law of Moses. I want you to understand tonight you're never going to be able to pray effectually if you neglect your Bible. You certainly can't read and study the book and be gripped by the words of the Spirit and refrain from calling upon the Lord in prayer. A neglect of the book also brings about a neglect of the place of prayer. The two go together. But, but uh, an openness of the book means that your heart will be prompted to pray and cry unto God. Isn't it so sad that what Spurgeon said about many Christians is true? The Bible's not only a closed book, but it's sitting on a shelf, it's gathering dust. And you could take the Bible down and in the dust you could write the word with your finger, damnation on the thick dust. There's the foundation in prayer. Notice secondly here, the consideration in this prayer. If you go back to verse 4, it says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. I want you to notice how Daniel addresses the Lord. He says, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. What a way to start praying. Daniel, as it were, I believe, stopped for a few moments. He paused. There was maybe even a silence. He was thinking. He was considering who God is. And how does he address him? O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him. Notice Daniel considered that God's a God to be feared. He calls him, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. You've got to think of greatness above and beyond all others that we could think about. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 verse 16, the Bible makes mention of two great lights set in the aerial heavens, the sun and the moon. Two dominant orbs in our galaxy. The moon light is borrowed from the sun. The moon doesn't shine. It doesn't have its own light. Uh, the uh, moon doesn't have its own reflection. It reflects the light of the sun. The sun's the greater light. And the sun, of course, represents the sun of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moon, in a sense, represents the church. And the only light that the church has is the light of Christ because he said, I am the light of the world. And, and the moon, of course, um, comes out and shines brightly in the darkness. But the sun is still the greater light. 
And you know, tonight, when we think about the greatness of God, we have to say that God is transcendent. God is above all. God is outside of us. God is supremely over us. Think of this word, dreadful. You see, it's about absolute reverence. God becomes the object of fear. Um, Isaiah 8 and 13 says, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. That's what true fear is. A holy awe. Having a sense of utter unworthiness before him. Letting him be our awe. Letting him be our dread. We tremble before him. We're consciousness of our sinfulness. And we feel our utter unworthiness. He's not only a God to be feared, but he's a God to be trusted. Think of these words, keeping the covenant. Do you know that this is a tremendous phrase in the scripture? Keeping the covenant is a reference to the means that God has in dealing with sinners. See, God always deals with sinners in the basis of grace, on the ground of the shed blood. And keeping the covenant is a reference to cutting the covenant. And, and you've got to think about the, 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 the uh, shed blood being applied. Because remember, God only and always deals with us on the basis of the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. We can come to God with full assurance and absolute confidence, but only on the ground of the blood. You think of Daniel. I, I, I'm coming to God. I, I'm approaching him. I, I'm, I'm asking him for things. And how am I doing it? I'm doing it on the basis that this God keeps his covenant. He keeps his word. He's true to his promise, but his promise and his word is based on the application of the blood. He's not only a God to be feared and a God to be trusted, but, but he's a God to be regarded. Notice he says, if we go to verse 5, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. You see, here was the problem in 586 B.C., the children of Israel forgot about the Lord. They left God out of their lives. The land was greatly blessed and wonderfully privileged, and yet it forgot God. It despised him. It ignored him. It rebelled against him. It forsook him. Sin took over. And, and if you read the prayer very carefully, he, he, he mentions here in verse 15... And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renown as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. In that they forgot this God of redemption. And you think of our united kingdom tonight. God has wonderfully blessed our land. You think of the 15th century Reformation, Light and Truth. The 18th century, great revivals, wonderful awakenings, wonderful freedoms in our democracy to this day, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom to worship. But you know what? We've left God out. The United Kingdom government has left God out. Stormont Hill has left God out. Holyrood has left God out. Sin's taking over. Sin's destroying us. Sin will cost this country a very heavy price. 
sin. Whenever it's fully finished, will result in all that we've been given by God being removed and taken away. It was the great Leonard Ravenhill that said Sodom had no Bible. And here we are in the United Kingdom and we have Bibles. We have a multiplicity of Bibles. We have a full and uh, revelation of God, two testaments, one Bible. And yet the United Kingdom, at this very time in which we live, it rejects God. It rejects the God of the Bible. It refuses to recognize sin for what it is. You, you think today of the sin of abortion, worst abortion laws in the United Kingdom, and as well as throughout Europe. You, you think of the redefining of marriage. You, you, you just think of the advancement of atheism and humanism today, where, where men have become their own little God. You think of the transgender issues that the church is facing, the legalization of homosexuality, the calls to legalize drug addiction, the gambling laws, the licensing laws. You see, it's only when we have a regard for the Lord and bring the Lord into the picture, then we're going to recognize sin and then we're going to hate and loathe our sin. But when we forget that God's a God of holiness and a God of true righteousness and that our sinning is against the Lord and against a holy God, once we leave that to the one side, we will never ever come to the place where we say that we have sinned. God's a God to be regarded. We have sinned against him. God's a God to be recognized. You see, in this prayer, you've got the majesty of God, you've got the might of God, but you also have the mercy of God. And that's what he, he focuses in on in this particular psalm. He says in verse 9, To the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Do, do you think of that? Despite this rebellion, despite breaking his law, despite this transgression and disobedience and this indifference and this ingratitude and deserving his wrath and judgment, he is merciful. And Daniel, when he prays, doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't make light of sin. He doesn't evade the fact that we have sinned. He, he recognizes God, not only in his holiness, but in his justice. He, he recognizes a God of infinite grace, verses 16 to 19. So you get the picture here. Here's his consideration. And I've only scratched it for you. A God to be feared, a God to be trusted, a God to be regarded. A God to be recognized as one who is merciful and yet holy and just and true. And yet a God who deals with us purely in the basis of grace. And, and there's forgiveness with him that he may be feared. And our hope is only in him. There's the consideration of the prayer. Notice thirdly, not only the foundation of the prayer and the consideration of the prayer, but think of the confession in this prayer. If we go back, he says in verse um, Four, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said. And we've already thought about his consideration of who God is. And then he adds this in verse 5, we have sinned and committed iniquity. And that's repeated throughout the prayer. God is able and God is willing to forgive and pardon our iniquity. And Daniel's conscious of that. 
So he makes his confession to God with the words, we have sinned. This is not a crude familiarity. This is not something that's flippant or lighthearted in an attitude. This is deeply humiliating. This is a deeply honest confession. This is Daniel being open and intimate with God. Remember the Bible says in Isaiah 59 and 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It was the psalmist said in Psalm 66 and 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And you see, sin must be confessed. There must be an honest lament over sin. There must be a real, true, genuine lament before the Lord that's vital and necessary if we're going to have a relationship restored to the Lord. Isn't it true in Bible history when the Lord is going to restore his cause, when the Lord is going to revive his work, that the lament of sin has to be central? It's a dominant feature. A true spirit of brokenness, a true genuine sorrow for sin, a real genuine repentance. And and Daniel sees sin for what it is. He sees sin as being defined by God. It's a transgression of God's law. He sees it in its terrible nature. He he, he sees it as defined by the Lord. And he confesses, we have sinned. Isn't that one of the things that's needed today in the Christian church? For we who are individuals. Isn't it one of the things that's needed for every local congregation? Isn't it one of the things that's needed in our denomination at this time? It's a confession to God. We have sinned. You see, if God is going to work, and we want God to work, then we must see this as a vital, necessary, dominant feature in our relationship with the Lord. Turn over there, if you want to, uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and Look with me at this famous text of Scripture. I would encourage you to underline it in your Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Listen to the word of God. God says, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, we in the Free Presbyterian Church tonight have no monopoly in God. No church has a monopoly in God. It simply doesn't exist. And you know, tonight God owes us nothing. God only treats us on the basis of free grace on the ground of the blood. And I think there's an important principle here. And the principle is this. There's no point in us praying for true revival unless we're prepared to recognize our sin and repudiate it and to put it away from us. And that will come about by an honest, humiliating confession and that will generate a spirit of being truly sorry and that will generate a spirit of genuine repentance before the Lord and as far as our lives is concerned as far as our church is concerned 
if we mean business with the Lord, then we'll have to say we have sinned. Individually, congregationally, denominationally. Let me ask this. What are we really concerned about in our Christian life? Are we concerned about our testimony and walk with God and how other people see us and regard us? I'll not mention any names. That would be wrong and remiss of me. But let me just point out that in my journey as a Christian and as a Christian minister, I've come across some businessmen and I think of some who have been guilty of using false weights to sell vegetables to their customers. Is that right? Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 20, for example, in verse 10, although I could turn to many Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 20 and verse 10, divers weights and divers measures. Both of them are alike an abomination to the Lord. And here's a man weighing out potatoes for you. You've come for a half hundredweight, but he's taken four or six out of the bag and he's given you underweight. And yet then he's given you a gospel tract and inviting you along to a gospel meeting. And you're thinking to yourself, but this man professes to be a Christian. And if he's doing it to me, who else is he doing it to? And you see, it may be somebody that will say, well, look, I'm a Christian businessman here. And uh, someone then alleges, but he hasn't paid me my wages. There's an arguing match about what is actually owed for a particular job being done. And then the next thing is the, 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 the man who's employed him is inviting him along to church or to, or to some gospel meeting. You see, our treatment of other people is so important when it comes to our testimony and our walk with God. And little sins, not, not the sins of adultery or sins of murder, the sins of theft, but little sins, the secret sins, sins of greed and envy and backbiting, having a rid of bitterness against a brother or being full of pride or being full of jealousy or sowing the, the sin of discord. It's all sin in the eyes of God. You think of the mention here of prayerlessness. Isn't this is what he said in verse 15, as it is written, the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God. That's why I, I was keen, despite the lockdown restrictions, to restore the prayer meeting as quickly as possible. Yes, we're socially distancing from one another, but I would have been grieved and disturbed in my spirit if we didn't have a time of prayer before the meetings, morning and evening. Why? Because it would be sending out a message. We don't need the Lord. I want to ask, when have we last called for days of prayer? When have we had nights of prayer? When there has there been seasons of fasting with sackcloth and ashes by the leadership? Have we forgotten about the power of prayer? Let me ask the question, who's praying for the United Kingdom tonight? Who's praying for your family and mine? If you have loved ones and they're not saved, should you not be praying for them and agonizing before God and crying out for God to visit them with grace and mercy? Because there is a connection. Here's Daniel. And he's told by the writings of Jeremiah, Isaiah the prophet, that Babylon's going to fall. 
Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The temple will be restored. The people will return to the land. But you've got to pray about this, Daniel. And he took it seriously. And he got before God. On the ground of the word. And he considered who God is. And he made his confession. We have sinned. So I want to say tonight... The answer for Northern Ireland doesn't lie in politicians. It doesn't lie in eradicating poverty, although I'm against poverty and I want to try and relieve the suffering of the needy. It's not about making more money. It's not about tax rebates. It's certainly not about dealing with the whole aspect of social injustice, although social injustice is as big a sin as anything else. It's not about removing the treatment of people of a different color or or, or a different class. You see, the answer is in crying to God. And at the heart of that cry must be, we have sinned. See, I, I would say tonight to the Black Lives Movement organization, which is really a, a Marxist organization, I would say to them in the Lord's name that they need to repent of their sin. They need to stop the murder of babies. They need to stop the violence. They need to stop the looting. They need to stop the killing of their own people, of their own color. You see, the heart of the problem is the heart It's the problem of the human heart. And that's what's wrong with America. That's what's wrong with our United Kingdom. And you can have all the protests. And you can have politicians lining up to say this and do this. We're going to eradicate poverty. And we're going to fix social injustice. And we're going to treat people with respect. And we're going to give you a a, a tax rebate. But it'll not change the country. The country will only remain the same. It'll only get worse. And when I think of the church. Do you know the church has lost sight of the gospel? The church doesn't understand the gospel. There's preachers in the pulpit and they're preaching things, but it's far removed from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not telling men that they're sinners and calling them to repent. They're not saying you've got a soul and you need to be saved. They're not saying to them that Jesus Christ is the only savior of sinners. They're not summonsing men to repent and believe the gospel. So I ask you, what are you concerned about? And there's far too many concerned with social injustice and we need to protest against this and protest against that. But, but what about a concern for souls? Well, what is it in the light of eternity? Many souls in the Christian church tonight profess Christ's name, but they never open their Bible. They never pray to the Lord. They never speak about Christ. They never speak for Christ. They don't confess their sin. Is it not just an empty shell of a profession? Here's Daniel. And he confesses the disobedience of his people. He said, we have sinned. He, he, he involved himself in that. He, he confessed their hardness of heart. He confessed their rebellion to God and his law. He, he, he confessed their prayerlessness. He confessed their neglect of, of obedience to his word. He, 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 he confessed their lack of brokenness. So I come back to this. What are we concerned about? The businessman with the false weight. The businessman who's withholding the wages. 
The professing Christian who never opens their Bible or prays or no desire to go to the house of God on the Lord's day. You see, we have loads of things to confess. Greed and pride and root of bitterness, lies and lust, and I'm to the front of the line. So I'm not going to ask you to confess without me being in front of the line before you. We have sinned. That's what Daniel said. A humiliating, honest confession to God. Lord, we're in Babylon for 70 years because we've sinned against you. That's what he was saying. You've treated us justly. You've treated us righteously. Notice the last thing about the prayer, not only the foundation of the prayer and the consideration in the prayer and the confession in the prayer, but, but, but think of this, the, conf- the passion in the prayer. No- notice if you go to verse 16, it says, O Lord... Can you hear that O wrenched out of his heart? Come to verse 17. O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant. Verse 18. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Verse 19 again. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Could I tell you in closing tonight, there's a sober commitment to pray. Daniel feels this is a do or die situation. If God wants me to pray, then I'll give myself to prayer. And he was fully committed to the whole work of prayer. He believed that prayer worked. He was sober-minded and serious about seeking God. He knew that the scripture says, if we confess and forsake our iniquities, then we'll find mercy with God. Think of the promise, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he sought God genuinely. He sought the Lord earnestly. He sought the Lord believingly. Remember the scripture says, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's your warder of them that diligently seek him. Daniel believed the word. So he's believing as he's before the Lord. And he did it with fastings. He denied himself any lawful pleasure for a spiritual purpose. Whether it was food or whether it was some work that he had to do or whatever it was. He he took time out to go and seek his God. There was sober commitment. And can I say this in closing? Our time is gone. There was spiritual confidence. What did he say to the Lord? O Lord, according to thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are before us. You see, it was for the Lord's name's sake. He was burdened for the honor and glory of the Lord. It wasn't for his name's sake. It wasn't even about the people that had sinned. It was about the honor and the glory of the Lord. And that's the passion and prayer that we need. A serious commitment with a spiritual confidence that what I'm praying about, the saving of the souls of my family, Friends and neighbors, a visitation of God in my community, a visitation of God and revival upon the the whole of the country. 
It's for his glory. The psalmist prayed not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. And if we're going to be serious, then this is the passion that we need in prayer. This is the heart of Daniel's great prayer. Oh, that you could see it tonight. Oh, that I could write it in your heart and mind. I trust the Spirit of God will. Get sight of that foundation and open your Bible and seek God. Have the consideration in your mind who you're coming to. It ties into the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. Make this confession. We have sinned. And the leadership of our church needs to recognize their sin and come to that place and call for a return to prayer. And let's have this passion because God answers prayer. I close. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Next week we're going to see the answer to the prayer and what a mighty answer it is. May the Lord bless you tonight. Thank you for coming. And thank you for listening.